Good evening. It's the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. Tonight, I promise you, we're going to talk about Igmar Bergman and why I want to dive even further into the films. But more so him as a man. You know, I played this on the last episode where I paid tribute to a frequent muse of Igmar Bergman, and that was Max von Sydow. And, you know, Igmar Bergman, he made those films that were so intense and dark and light and depressing and, and very humanistic. And toward the end of his life, he would tell Max von Sydow he was starting to believe more in an afterlife. Which was interesting because Igmar Bergman, his father was a religious man. In fact, I think his father was a man of the cloth. He was a preacher or something. And for him to, at the end of his life, say, you know what, I think... And, and Max von Sydow saying to him... Um, so are you going to contact me beyond, from beyond the grave? And he said, yeah. And he was on Charlie Rose, you know, who has been canceled four years ago. I used to watch that show. And then people would tell me things about him. A lot of my New York friends. So Max von Sydow said that, yeah, Igmar Bergman said he would contact him from beyond the grave. And he did, but he wouldn't elaborate anymore. And I thought, let's dive into that. Here is this man who in the beginning of his life, probably, and I can understand this, because he was surrounded so much by religious iconography and dogma by his own father and rejected it, became this internationally beloved and, and feared filmmaker, made these very provocative films. And then... Toward the end of his life, and, and this happens to a lot of people, starts to develop an awareness of the afterlife. And then is able to say to his friend, who played the exorcist, by the way, I'm going to contact you. And he did. But the eerie thing is that Max von Sydow said it is so personal that he would not talk anymore about it. And he didn't. But that says something about their connection. Is that these two men have this connection that goes beyond the, the world that we know today. It is in another world. One that we can't see or taste or smell or fathom. You're not supposed to fathom it. Isn't that eerie? And I'm out in nature and I'm talking about this and it's a little spooky. But I like it. And... My goal is to watch more of it. I've only seen The Seventh Seal. I've seen bits and pieces of Autumn Sonata. Autumn Sonata, you want to talk about intense? First of all, this was the first time that Igmar Bergman worked with Ingrid Bergman and his muse, Liv Ullman. And Liv Ullman talks about how, you know... Igmar loved Ingrid and Ingrid loved Igmar, but they would clash. They would clash. Good evening and welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. Tonight, I promise you my quest to dive further into Igmar Bergman. Most filmmakers...
They make these films for you to escape. Igmar Bergman made films almost like he was making love. He was, he, was, uh, he was basically planting the seed and the offspring grows into a film. And the film is complicated. And the film is filled with all these different turns and twists and bends. Only to arrive playing chess with death in The Seventh Seal. I have only watched The Seventh Seal. I once saw clips... Or I think I, it was on TCM. I saw bits and pieces of Autumn Sonata. But just to hear people talk about Igmar Bergman is fascinating to me. To hear Liv Ullman, his muse and love, speak of him. To hear interviews with the late Max von Sydow talk about Igmar Bergman and them debating the afterlife. And Bergman saying, I will prove it to you. And boy, did he. Igmar Bergman. People people were scared of him. People were intimidated by him. In fact, when he worked, the only time he worked with Ingrid Bergman, another uh, Swedish luminary, there was a clash. Bergman's films, Smiles of a Summer Night, The Seventh Seal, The Silence, Wild Strawberries, Persona, Cries and Whispers, Scenes from a Marriage, and Fanny and Alexander. Igmar Bergman directed over 60 films and documentaries for cinematic release and for television screenings, most of which he also wrote. His theatrical career continued in parallel and included periods as leading director of the Royal Dramatic Theater in Stockholm and of the Ritzenzalisch Theater in Munich. He also directed over 170 plays. He eventually forged a creative partnership with the cinematographers Gunnar Fischer and Steven Nicholist. Among his company of actors were Harriet Anderson, Bibi Anderson, Liv Ullman, Gunnar Borenstrand, Orland Josephin, Ingrid Dulman, and Max von Sydow. Most of his films were set in Sweden, and many films from Through a Glass Darkly onward were filmed on the island of Faro. Philip French referred to Igmar Bergman as one of the greatest artists of the 20th century. He found in literature and the performing arts a way of both recreating and questioning the human condition. Director Martin Scorsese commented, If you were alive in the 50s and 60s and of a certain age, a teenager on your way to becoming an adult, you wanted to make movies. You don't see how you couldn't be influenced by Bergman. It's impossible to overstate the effect that those films had on people. Bergman was ranked the seventh director in poll of Sight and Sound, 2002's list of the greatest directors of all time. Igmar Bergman, born July 14th, 1918 in Uppsala, Sweden, died the 30th of July, 2007, Faro, Sweden. He was 89 years old. He had a home built on the island that was preserved there was a documentary about it 
people have said that he had VHSs and he didn't have what you would assume highbrow films of, of his stature. He had films like Beverly Hills Cop. He, he loved to have fun. I've said that many times before, you know. I remember one time having a really bad day and watching Tammy. It really helped. And it really was satisfying. And so we're going to continue tonight just to talk about how sometimes it's not always about what you channel. It's about what you need as the medicine of the film. As last night we talked about the Goonies. A little, a few parts of me are trepidatious about diving into Igmar Bergman because I, I remember one time Whoopi Goldberg was hosting the Oscars and she said this joke about the movie Iris starring Judy Dench how Igmar Bergman found it depressing and he was still alive then and she of course was joking because his films have this well they have this power but they also have people write them off as depressing and you know yeah in truth, I didn't find the seventh seal depressing. I just found it. It was alive. It was like Frankenstein. It was alive. It began with death and it ended with death. And it was shot so beautifully. And like I said, I'm still trepidatious. Like, okay, we got to swim this channel. Watch these films. But to, to see Liv Ullman talk about him. And Max von Sydow. Those are probably two of his greatest collaborators and muses. They were in films together. But what fascinates me is this tug of war with Ingrid Bergman. Ingrid, you know, these two Swedes. And I think people assumed, okay, they're both Swedish. They'll get along. But then to see Liv Ullman talk about how she felt for Ingrid Bergman because there's a scene in Autumn Sonata where I think they're fighting the mother and the daughter and Ig- Igmar asked Ingrid to lie down and put her hands up and she had had she was she was suffering from breast cancer and had had lift, lymph notes removed but she never once said to Igmar, oh, I can't do that. She did it. But Liv Ullman talked about how there was this... Igmar wanted her to say this line. And Ingrid said, I'd rather slap her across the face for talking to me like that. But she gritted her teeth and she said the line. So that's what fascinates me is... It's, it's along the lines of Stanley Kubrick. You know, Malcolm McDowell has said, one minute I love him, the next minute I hate him because of what he made him do in A Clockwork Orange. There, there's that scene, I think that a picture really does say a, a, million wor- a million things or a thousand words when 
they make Alex DeLarge watch those films because they're going to fuck with his head. And they had those clips. So they had his eyes clipped open. So he couldn't blink. He couldn't close them. And what happened was while they were filming, one of the clips came off and almost blinded Malcolm McDowell. So I can understand where the one moment he loves working with Stanley Kubrick and the next minute he wants to choke him. Because he is performing an exorcism of film saying, look, we're going to do it this way. If you don't like how we're going to do it, well, it's, it's been crazy. It's, it's crazy. Film is... Film is life. But I know that Igmar Bergman and all filmmakers would agree with me that when if you really want to see things captured on screen, you look to Charlie Chaplin and you look to Buster Keaton and what they were able to do As an artist, you have to work with what you have, whether it's a chisel, whether it's a a recording. With Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin, they were like, they pulled it together. These two actors that are directing themselves as these these, uh, magicians, magicians. So it, it really is... It really is uh it's a moment. So it's not just about Igmar Bergman. It's about the, all of those that came before us. Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, Martin Scorsese, Francis Ford Coppola. All of them. Akira, I've you know I've never watched an Akira Kurosawa film. I, I hope I said his name right. I've always heard people talk about him as this great Japanese director, or Bernardo Bertolucci, who did Last Tango in Paris. He also did one of my favorites, The Dreamers. I've talked about The Dreamers before. There are two versions of The Dreamers. There's an R version and there's an NC-17. And both shocking. Both shocking. Yes. And these filmmakers just, they do it because that's how life is. Life is not a romantic comedy. It can be a comedy on the way to something else. And and I'm not downing rom-coms. They're nice. People people want safe. They want safe. They don't want intensity. They don't want the tables to turn. They want to be safe. But as an artist myself, I have to, I've told you, you cannot be safe. You just cannot. If you are safe, you basically are Walmart. You are you are too safe. And I'm a Sagittarius and we love to play with fire because we are fire. That's just how it is. 
So with Igmar Bergman, you know, Igmar Bergman, strangely enough, his father, I think his father was a priest. Let me check this out. I read that somewhere and I think he ran from it. Let me see. Ernest Igmar Bergman was born in Uppsala, Sweden, the son of Erik Bergman, a Lutheran minister, hello, and later chaplain to the King of Sweden. And Karin, a nurse who also had Wallen ancestors. He grew up with his older brother Dag and sister Margareta, surrounded by religious imagery and discussion. His father was a conservative parish minister with a strict ideas of parenting. Igmar was locked up in a dark closet for infractions such as wetting himself. While father preached away in the pulpit and the congregation prayed, saying, or listen, Igmar wrote in his autobiography. I devoted my interest to the church's mysterious world of low arches, thick walls, the smell of eternity, the colored sunlight quivering above the strangest vegetation of the medieval paintings and carved figures on ceilings and walls. There were... Well, there was everything that one's imagination could desire. Angels, saints, dragons, prophets, devils, humans. Although raised in a devout Lutheran household, Bergman later stated he lost his faith at age eight and only came to terms with his fat, this fact while making Winter Light in 1962. His interest in theater and film began early. At the age of nine, he traded a set of tin soldiers for a magic lantern. Ah. <sighs> disturbing that these filmmakers they they are men they are they are flawed all i think all artists have a you know i i wanted to bring up you know the dot com and i have nothing against technology but if you look at New York and you look at San Francisco, especially San Francisco, how all the artists are basically being forced out because they can no longer afford to live there. And I think of the late Lawrence Ferlinghetti, who did a piece about that, how, you know, all of a sudden your landlord wants, four, you know, twenty-four thousand or $2,400 for rent. Or $4,200. Yeah. Because of the dot-com people. These startups. And so those of us who are artists are living far beyond it. 90 miles to be exact. Every day when I do the commute and I am surrounded by people on their way to the Bay Area. The dot-com. And they drive erratically. They don't signal. And I know you're probably saying, oh, well, not everyone signals. Oh, I do. People have lost it. Or when they all slam on their brakes because they're playing on the phone. No. <sighs> Just think, those are the people who want to inherit the world, and they won't. They won't. We could make a film about it, Mr. Ig Igmar Bergman, couldn't we? Unpleasant dreams. <laughs>